After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is Christine Camp Friedman, founder of the Avalon Development Company, which is a full-service real estate development, consulting, and sales company. She is a board member of Central Pacific Bank, 2004 Chairman of the Board of the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii, and was co-chairman for Mayor Mufi Hanneman Transition Committee. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Christine Camp Friedman. Welcome to our show. Oh, glad to be here. So you've been involved in the real estate market for about 20 years now. How did you become interested in this market? Well, at first when I got started, it was accidental. It was my very first full-time job. But the, um, my being in the uh, industry for 20 years is not accidental at all. It was by conscious choice. After the first year, I loved it. I realized that land and development in Hawaii was the industry that I wanted to be in. What was your first job? Uh, my first job was actually in those days they called it a Girl Friday <laughs> for uh, a developer, an attorney who was doing real estate developments. And a Girl Friday in those days did everything. It was like a, you know today's admin assistant. And so I started that when I was at, um, attending college. And um, it turned out to be my full-time job that turned into um, a, my first professional job. I got promoted and promoted and promoted. And I worked for him for five years. And by the time I left, I was vice president of his development company. How long did that period take before you became vice president? Uh, three years. Three years. Fast. That was pretty fast. And I think it's because I enjoyed it so much. Was that a small company that you were working for? Right. It was a small company. Um, I, I think in a corporate structure, it may not have moved as fast. In a small company, you know, your efforts are directly related to results. I mean, there is no one else to blame. So it started out with a two-man office. And by the time I left, we had you know, others who worked with us. Um, and I had more and more responsibilities. And so the opportunities were much easier to secure in a smaller company. So what I'm wondering is how did you deal with dealing with primarily probably older men when you're mm -hmm. kind of in your early 20s and a mm -hmm. woman? Well, in the beginning, it was with a lot of deference. <laughs> I was deferential to anyone who was older because my feeling was that I didn't know and I, I was just hungry for knowledge. And everyone who was older than me, who had even a year's more experience, knew more than I, and I could learn from them. So I showed them a lot of respect. And, and in, in exchange, they taught me a lot. So you kind of made them almost like your mentor, in essence, and then instead of being having to try to prove yourself as a peer? Yes. And, and I think, well, you have to recognize when I started in the career, I was 17. So, you know, to that extent, it's almost a gimme that it's, young. you know, you can, people can see that you're young. And so it was much easier to ask for help and ask them to be my mentors in that sense. Without really asking to them to be my mentors, I just asked for help. And it's so amazing that when you ask, how many people respond. And so it, it, I was very lucky to have mentors. Um, particularly one person was my, my boss. Um, he really helped me see through 
what uh, my goals should be and my direction should be. Um, and I was at an impressionable age, impressionable age, where I think I was I need, I wanted to be great so fast and was very impatient. I saw everyone else moving fast, and I I felt that I was kind of back in a smaller company with limited opportunities. What he showed me was that with confidence, desire to learn, you could accomplish even more than all the others that were out there. That I could be just as good, if not, if not better. And when he showed me that and shared with me. Um, some tools for building confidence. I, that's when I really started to see my potential. So, how long were you with that company? Five years. And what was his feeling when you decided to go on your own and start your own? It was very unusual because I was recruited. I was recruited by Castle and Cook because they had just secured their largest land entitlement, uh, Mililani Malka. And it was after nine years of going after rezoning. So they wanted to build a team very fast and develop it as fast as possible to capture the market. And they were looking for people who were involved in real estate development and happened to find me. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get to a, um, a major corporation because I had all these opportunities within a small company. He encouraged me, and he really saw it as a master's degree. He said, you either go to graduate school to get a job in a company like that, in that kind of position, or you think of it as going there to learn as much as possible so that you either decide whether to stay in a corporate environment or become an entrepreneur. But you've got to give it at least three to four years to know that. I gave myself five years because I felt that at that time I had completed five years, so I decided to set five-year goals. Five years from then, I'll, I'll think of this as a graduate school study, learn as much as I can, and, and fifth year I will go out on my own and become my own developer like how my boss was. And um, so I stayed at Castle & Cook for five years. So at 27, you started your own company? No. At 27, I was recruited by a &B. And if you remember, um, this was back in 1996. Um, the market tanked. And we were in a, a very bad real estate cycle. And so um, I had to set a new goal. And I was at that point, I was at a, cross path, a crossroads. Either go on my own, or look, for an, look to stay within this corporate environment um, to learn and, and move on. And within that, of course, I was very successful within that organization because I acted like an entrepreneur. So um, I was promoted several times over within Castle & Cook. Um, the fifth year came along. It was just around fifth year. I think it was four years and eight months. And I was just at that time where I'm starting to think about my fifth year and what will I do. And A&B came to recruit me. It was just amazing. Um, so... What I looked at was stay where, where I am, open my own business, look at the economy, and then look at what opportunities A&B provided. Uh, and at that point, what I looked at uh, with A&B was something that Castle Cook could not provide me. Um, Castle Cook was a, primarily a residential developer, the, the realm that I was in. It's all about master planning, residential, or homes, or master tracks. And A&B was just starting their redevelopment efforts. And it was including resorts, um, new developments, commercial development, shopping centers, industrial parks. These are things that I haven't done before. And so I, I thought of it as, okay, yet another five years, I will learn as much as I could while I wait out the market, and I'll go out on my own in the fifth year. Four years and seven months into uh, working for AMB and having successful um, career within AMB, I found that um, the market did pick up. 
and I was tracking the market. And that's when I realized that this was the time. If I don't do it now, I probably will just stay within the corporate environment. And I had to be true to my dreams and my, my original path. And my original path that I had set out for myself had always been to be an entrepreneur. So was it hard to make that transition into running your own business? Yes and no. Um, yes, because I had, at that point, had 10 years of corporate backing. All the resources were there. We never had to worry about um, finding, you know, financing. And we never had, I never had to worry about resources, human resources, you know, legal. It's all there. And making the transition into an entrepreneur where you have to ask for help and pay for everything rather than coming within a corporate environment, that was a very hard transition. Um, and um, some of the people who, or companies, who dealt with you because you were with, a, you were vice president of a major company versus you're an entrepreneur, it, it was very different. So the transition was where I had, I had worked with these companies for five years and all of a sudden they no longer wanted me as a client or as a, um, a business colleague. It was very eye-opening. At the same time, it wasn't very easy, uh, it wasn't very hard because I had set my mind to it and had been saving for two years and looking for projects to do. So by the time I had left, I had projects to work on as well as um, I had clients um, who were paying me more than what I was making in my salary. So the transition was fairly easy. When you were um, employed, did they know that you were trying to make this tra transition and what your goals were? No. Um, but I think one of the reasons why they valued me in every um, what they call assessment period, they'd always say that the reason why they valued my judgment and my, um, my contribution to the company was because I acted like an entrepreneur. Every one of my um, you know, reviews, it was all about how they viewed me as an entrepreneur, how it, it helped the company. So I think they always knew deep down inside that I, I would be leaving. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Christine Camp Friedman, founder of the Avalon Development Company. She made a jump from a secure job with a large company to starting her own business that has ranked by Pacific Business News as one of Hawaii's top five real estate companies. Can you tell us when did you get this feeling of entrepreneurship in your life? Because you did graduate from Kalani High School in your mm -hmm. junior year. Mm -hmm. I did. So when did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and, you know, it's just time to graduate early and move on, start your life? Well, 
I graduated from Kalani High School earlier because of my um, desire to finish the more, most difficult classes ahead of everyone else. It was more competition than anything else. I was competing with myself. It had nothing to do with being, wanting to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It was more wanting to have a job because I, I came from a, a very um, economically disadvantaged um, setting, and I needed to work. I couldn't um, not work. And by graduating earlier, I thought I could go and find a full-time job earlier and really contribute to the finances. So it wasn't really a choice, and it wasn't about being an entrepreneur at that time. Where I felt that I wanted to was because I saw the possibility. I saw the possibility of this one man on his own, using his own resources, doing it in a very small scale and becoming so financially successful and, and uh, contributing to his community and taking care of his family and balancing his life. And I liked that life. And I felt that it was possible. If he could do it, he was someone who came from a very impoverished economic background as well, but he did it all on his own. I thought if he could do it, then I could. So it's all about seeing somebody else who had similar situation as you did and, and seeing them really succeeding and saying, wow, if that person somehow found a way, I know that I can find a way. That was that connection, the connecting the dots. I connected the dot within the first year of working for this man. So what was the hardest thing about starting your own business then? There's several. I mean, I, I, I'd have to, I, I think back to when I first started, I, I always knew of my own capabilities, but I didn't know how to price myself. Because, you know, when you go and find jobs, they set your salary for you. And, you know, you negotiate for a few thousand dollars more and you negotiate for your bonuses. So you really never know what you're worth in an open market. And you hope to make at least your salary <laughs> if you're leaving a secure job. And, and then, you know, hope for the upside. But when people are hiring you for your expertise, it's so hard to price yourself. And I felt so flattered that some other people would hire me for my expertise that I kept undercharging for my services where I was actually losing money uh, for the jobs that I was doing, where I was working way, I mean, I was giving so much more value than it really, I was being paid for. And so the hardest thing was pricing myself correctly. That's on a service level position. The second part about being, being hardest on going on, on your own, unless you have a source of capital, an entrepreneur and starting any business is about being well capitalized. I thought I was well capitalized in the sense that I had enough to live on and not have to depend on a salary for two years. And that is pretty significant. I thought that was a pretty significant feat for, for someone under 30, I mean, you know, just having 30 to, to have saved and be able to use it for my business's resources. But you could not expand or really test your ideas unless you'd had a lot of money, real true capital behind, not just your living expenses and your overhead a true capital behind applying your, your ideas. And my company was a real estate development company. Development meant acquiring land and finding money to buy, uh, buy properties and securing them. It was the most difficult thing. Um, that's, that was really, really hard. It's about raising capital. So how did you overcome that and actually develop those skills then? How did you develop the skill to price yourself properly and then the skill to raise capital? One, um, I, I decided to focus in a different percentage. 
I was I wanted to be 80-20 in the sense that when I started, I would spend 80% of my time doing developments, 20% of the time working for others as, as a consultant. I decided to um, build up my experience by using other people's projects as a baseline. And so I switched to 80-20 rule, 80% for other projects to raise the capital that I needed and also to um, show what my capabilities were in an open market so that those clients would become my partners and, and capitalize my projects and spend 20% looking for my own opportunities. And um, what, when, I, when, I, when I mean by opportunities as a development company, you're looking for a pipeline of projects. So I used the 80-20 rule, and it helped me in two ways. One was as I did more and more projects with others, they recognized my value in that I was indispensable to, in their opinion. So no matter, I kept charging more and more because my time became more and more precious. And my explanation was, I can't, I had to turn down the work. And if you wanted my focus, you had to pay 10 times more than what you were paying me. And what, by golly, what, what I realized is that they actually valued me more because I was more expensive in, in that sense. The, the product was valued more because of the pricing. And um, there was more respect. And in addition to that, it allowed me to raise more capital for my own projects. Mm -hmm. And they, um, those clients who relied on my expertise felt that I was um, sufficiently experienced enough in their way of dealing that they, were, they would allow me to be their partners. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Christine Camp Friedman, Managing Director of Avalon Development Company, one of Hawaii's top real estate companies. Equity Partners, you're talking about your own projects. Mm -hmm. Do you take in equity partners for your own projects? Or when you say your own projects, does that mean just purely your own capital for your 100% your development? I, um, I think for real estate development, and I, it may be the case with several, uh, lots of other companies, it's about utilizing other people's money and growing it and limiting your own money because you're putting your own effort, your sweat equity into it. So what I do for when I say my own projects, these are my ideas, uh, my um, opportunities that I bring to others it, and um, having them finance it and they become equity partners. Every one of my projects, it's been financed by others with my participating in maybe 10 to 15%. I mean, those are not, it might seem small, but they're pretty significant when you're talking about $15 million to $30 million projects. So it, it is pretty significant when we're talking about equities. Um, but at the same time, I'm able to spread it out to many different opportunities. And that, that to me, is the key to success, 
is leveraging your knowledge and expertise and your desire and work ethic as an entrepreneur and going to others who have the deep pockets to um, to really um, leverage their financial resources to your project. So I, I see it as a win-win situation. As a woman in a in a almost like a I don't know if I want to say a man's dominated male dominated world, absolutely because is. real estate's all seems like men. Uh, have you ever felt discriminated against or maybe opportunities didn't come up as much because you're a woman? I mean, has that come up at all? You know, I cannot say I, it hasn't. It did. And I can recognize it when I, when I see it. But um, there are people who choose to call it what it is. And there are cho people who choose to just kind of let it roll, you know, and just um, make the best of it. And I was uh, in the camp of being there and making the best of it. I didn't want to have a victim mentality. I just wanted to show what, I, what, what my efforts were about. That meant working a little harder. That meant, you know, speaking a little louder. That meant being a little more prepared than everyone else. But I had to work hard to get the respect. Um, in a male-dominated industry, construction, real estate development, it definitely is a male-dominated industry. Um, but at the same time, the women who do um, put themselves out there, they're highly respected. So can you kind of go on the other side and say being a woman in a male-dominated industry has certain advantages? What would you th say the advantages would be? Well, because it is male-dominated, the few women who do make it uh, or who put themselves out there, they're, they're remembered. Um, and I think being remembered for their skills, I mean, of course, you know, the expectation is not as great. They think that women may not have had the experience. So by being able to come in um, and be the best out there or know that, the, you know, that I have greater knowledge than some other guy that may be out there, I think what it does, it helps in the marketing. People remember you and people recognize you for your skills. It may be exactly the same as some other person because you're a woman. You have, um, they have a greater respect for that. It's not so much that now. I mean, this is 2006. And I can't say that I see that as much. I used to see that 10 years ago. And, you know, I've been in this industry 20 years. 20 years ago, definitely. 10 years ago, yes, um, in, in some instances. Now, I hardly see it. So do you see a lot more women when you go to your business meetings? And do the women kind of come together to be a lot stronger force than the men? You know, because there's a lot more women and top business women that are smarter, have great ideas, and can lead groups. Like you were the leader of the Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if the women come together and have that force together to try and, you know, Equal it out. I like the idea of women's networking so that other women could pull, you know, provide opportunities and, and, and a base for networking that, that would allow people, other women to be uh, helped by it. But at the same time, I always feel that we don't need special organizations. Um, we just need to be within the organization and just kind of be there mm -hmm. and be involved because if you are a leader, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or you know, you're a certain race or, you know, a certain age or a certain financial uh, means, you, you still can't compete with the rest of them. So I always look at it as everyone is equal, and it's a matter of effort um, to be recognized and become a leader. Um, and that may be an old-fashioned thinking, but I, I've always believed it, and I've always um, acted upon that. 
Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Hawaiian time, Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites, For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Christine Camp Friedman, founder of the Avalon Development Company. She made a jump from a secure job with a large company to starting her own business that has ranked by Pacific Business News as one of Hawaii's top five real estate companies. I read that you're so busy and you <laughs> want to work so hard that every day starts at four o'clock. Yes, every is, day starts at 4 o'clock. What is your average day like? Well, um, average day starts at 4, it ends around 10. Um, and it's packed with uh, meetings. But I can't call it an average day because I can only tell you that an average day starts at 4. Everything else in between, it, it's, it's never the same. Um, there's so many things that come up in a day that... Um, I can't call any day average. And I guess that would be an average <laughs> um, average day for me. And you keep organized with your Burberry or whatever. I never have. leave home without my Black iPad. Burberry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Burberry would be her Burberry. <laughs> that, would be. <laughs> that would be her slacks. My iPad. I never go anywhere without it. I used to carry uh, four or five cell phones because I was always worried that people wouldn't be able to reach me and that I would, I would never be able to reach someone when I wanted to. And with this iPad or this personal organizer where you have Internet capability now, you have text messaging, and um, you don't need... I realized I really didn't need that. And also there's another thing that I realized, and it just happened in the last couple of years, is that I didn't need to be so reachable. I'm, I'm transitioning from an entrepreneur trying to do everything to a manager where delegating as much as possible, allowing other people to grow with me. And in doing so, I didn't need to be so reached. In fact, I shouldn't be reached, so allowing them to make the major decisions. So I carry just one cell phone now. <laughs> yeah, I read that it was five before. Yeah, because I was traveling so much and certain phones didn't work in certain regions and certain islands. And so I was looking for the best connection and, you know, I just wanted to be reachable. 
<laughs> so being that you're so busy, how do you choose the community activities that you're involved in, which groups and mm -hmm. the functions? When I first started my company, I looked at doing community service because I thought it was good for my company. I had, you know, obviously there were altruistic goals, but really it was more of a capitalistic goal in the sense that I wanted to market myself and my business. But as I got more involved with the community and understand the issues that were involved, I became, I hate to pat myself on the back, but in a sense, I became more altruistic and started to look at the impact of my activities. Um, I heard that, you know, this world only goes around because uh, just a small group of concerned citizens get involved and act on their concerns, and that's how this world gets governed and, and how it moves and how things move and how our communities can be better. And I felt that I should be part of that concerned citizen group. So having said that, um, I organize my time uh, as efficiently as possible because obviously I have a responsibility to my company and the people who work for me. It's no longer just about me, but it's about my, my employees and their families because if my company goes under, then all those people are affected. But um, I do want to have an impact in my community because I, I believe in my community. I, I really think that we have a great state and I've, I, uh, it, the opportunities that the co community has given me is something that I appreciate. So what I look for are things that are worthwhile, where it helps people who are in need. And obviously everybody has needs, but I look for people who can't help themselves. I look to help those who, not because they deserve help, but because they need help. Because if you find people who, des who if you only want to help people who deserve help, you wouldn't be helping very many people. So I look for people who, who need help, and that's where I spend my time. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii.